This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I get to this game at 7-10. Here's my story about a bad experience I had, and I hope that people can use this experience to better their night or day at City Field. So I was told numerous times, hey, when you use the ballpark app, which is how most of us use an app to get our tickets to go in, the ballpark app, whether you bought tickets or you're a season ticket holder or somebody gave you tickets, use the ballpark app. On the ballpark app, They've got this thing called mobile ordering. So here I am with my son, my oldest son, and my wife. I don't usually eat at City Field. I've made that clear. I usually bring my own food. But with my son and my wife there, they want food, especially with an hour and a half rain delay. What kind of ogre am I? Of course I'm going to get them food. So I say to my wife, all right, what do you want? And she tells me, all right, we're going to get a hot dog for him, a Diet Coke for me, uh, maybe some French fries. I said, great, very simple, very simple order. I go back, and this is what got me to the mobile ordering. I go back into the Piazza Club. Crazy lines. As you can imagine, there's a rain delay. So I said, you know, I'm going to try this mobile ordering. They told me all about the mobile ordering. So I click on the mobile ordering app, and it takes me to a menu. All right, I didn't think much of it. It was the Shake Shack menu. I said, okay, great. Not getting any Shake Shack stuff, but great. Mobile ordering, this will save me a lot of time. No information about where I'm supposed to pick up the order. I figure... It'll be close because they're asking me my section number. So I put in where I sit, my seat number, the whole thing. Still not telling me where I pick up the food, but hey, mobile ordering. Got to be convenient. I click on it. I buy the hot dog. I buy the, the soda, the fries, whatever the hell else we got. And it says you will get a text message that will let you know when it's ready and where to pick it up. All so good so far. This is great. This is the future. Why would anybody wait on a line? Just mobile ordering. I get the text message and it says your order is already ready. You need to pick it up at the Shake Shack in center field. Like the Shake Shack in center field. I sit behind the plate. They're making me walk around the entire stadium to pick up a freaking hot dog and French fries. If I knew that, I wouldn't do mobile ordering. The hell's the point to walk the center field? But hey, they got my money, Hoff. I got to go out there. So I said to my oldest son, Jet, you want to go on a hike? We got to go pick up our food. He's like, of course, this is exciting. So it takes forever to walk from home plate to the outfield. Everybody's in the stadium, like not in the bowl because the game hasn't started. Everybody's getting food. Everybody's going to the bathroom. Everybody's drinking. Everybody's inside. So you, you can imagine. It's a sold out crowd. It's a big, big stadium, big crowd. Took forever. 
pushing, shoving, holding his hand tight. Finally get there. It was like a goddamn hike. Finally get there. I'm like, where the hell do I go? And there's a sign that says mobile ordering. And then there's a massive line at the mobile ordering. Now, I admit, the line is not as long as the actual Shake Shack, but it ain't far off. So we proceed to stand there for 30 minutes on a mobile ordering line to eventually pick up the most basic food one can have from the Shake Shack to then go again all the way around the building. We must have walked over at about, let's say, 725, just in time for first pitch at 840. Made first pitch, all is good, got the food. But what the hell? Can you warn us that the mobile ordering is going to take you A, to the outfield, and then B, it ain't even that special to get mobile ordering because you got to wait on a line. What is the point of asking your section? I don't know. I off, <laughs> off. Thank you for saying that because I, I, I take responsibility. I'm a big take responsibility guy. So I, I wasn't, to my wife, angry at the Mets. I said, no, nah, this ain't the Mets' fault. I'm an idiot. I should have known better. And that was her response. She says, how would you know better? They asked you your section number. You probably assumed they're going to give you a mobile location that's close. And they didn't. Uh, yeah. Now, listen. I I almost did this at a, a game not too long ago, and I chose not to. I just decided I'm I'm next to a stand. Let me just get up and go. Whatever, it's easier because right. I was concerned. I'm like, how are they going to know to either deliver to me or whatever? It just seemed like this confusion there. I'm an idiot. I overthought it. I just decided not to do what you did. But I would have been pissed if that. I would have been furious to then see a line. For, I would cancel the oh. order. I, I was <laughs> thinking of leaving. There was a there was a part of me like I'm not doing this, but. <laughs> they already have my money. I don't want to fight them. Plus, my wife and son are hungry. Like, I got to deliver them the food. So to to go somewhere else, it, it wasn't going to benefit me. But I want everyone out there, when you go to city, be warned. Now, maybe the mobile ordering is convenient for you. If you're sitting in the outfield, I can see why. And you want Shake Shack. No doubt. The line is shorter with mobile order. So you probably would save yourself a few minutes. But if you just want something basic, the way I did, I didn't get anything special from the Shake Shack. It's just a massive, massive waste of time. And, and I've always made this point. I know this would uh, cost a lot of extra money, but I think it would bring in money for the Mets and it would create jobs. My theory has always been they should deliver to anywhere you sit, even if you're in the upper deck. Doesn't You don't need a special ticket. You hire more people that are delivery people. They'll make money off of tips. And I'm convinced more people will order food. More people would get food because I think there's a lot of people, even especially now with the pitch clock, we're like, I don't want to wait online for an inning and a half. So, and and charge the crap out of it. You want to make it even more expensive, like you're paying a premium to have the food delivered? Fine. Because I'll tell you this right now, and I can't be the only one. I'll pay the premium if you're giving it to me. Well, here's the thing is you'll have people like yourself who's like, I don't want to miss a pitch. I'm here. Let me get the food. I don't care. I'll spend the amount of money. You'll see. Other, have other people be like, you know what? I, I'm not doing that. So it'll be a happy right. medium. It, it'll be split 50-50, I think. I think so. I think so. So be forewarned. Mobile ordering, a complete misdirection. All right? But let me ask you a question. Did your son think that that was the best hot dog of all time? No. <laughs> <laughs> no the, the best part was... When I get back to the seat 
and I, you know, give my wife the Diet Coke and I open the hot dog. I say, all right, Chet, you ready to eat your hot dog? He's like, nah, I'm all right. I'm like, what? (laughs) He eventually (laughs) ate the hot dog, but immediately I was like, man, you got to eat that hot dog. Well, yeah, that, that was some experience. Then the fireworks were, the fireworks at City Field are not nearly as good as the fireworks at Chase Stadium because the fireworks at City Field, they shoot up from the, 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 the stadium, like the lights. They have kind of things that shoot up fireworks. And then they set up a couple of things on the field that shoot up fireworks. It's okay. I'm not saying it's terrible by any stretch, but I remember the fireworks at Chase Stadium being a lot more badass. Unless it's just my memories creating something better than what it actually was. And because the game didn't start till 840, my son ended up falling asleep in, I'd say, the sixth inning, which I said to my wife, yeah, the game would have been over. I I don't blame him. So I ended up waking him up for the fireworks, and the fireworks must have been like 1130, 11.50, whatever time it was. So it it was obviously a very late night on Friday night, and it didn't work. Because the Mets ended up getting shut out by the Toronto Blue Jays by a score of 3 nothing. One thing that was a little bothersome is I went up when the game was over to get my son because my wife and son ended up going back into the Piazza Club and falling asleep on the couches. So I'm sitting there by myself watching the game. I go back. I'm like, hey, let's wake him up. He can watch the fireworks. I'm away for 30 seconds and someone took my seats. <laughs> I had to come back and say, excuse me. I'm sorry. I was just getting up for a couple of minutes. But That's then we so ended up watching the fireworks. Everyone had a fine time. Um, I do want to say something before we go to the next game because there was a positive in the first of the going into Saturday's game. Starting pitching for four straight games was yeah. like dominant. If I'm correct, I yeah. think it was 26 innings, 30 strikeouts, and three run, three earned runs in in those 26 innings between Sanga Verlander. Scherzer and Carrasco. I mean, we've been begging for great pitching, and they finally delivered. No doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, the, the great starting pitching from the Philly series made us ignore the fact they stopped hitting after leaving Colorado. But, yeah, the starting pitching was great all the way until Sunday with Kodai Senga. Even Tyler McGill in game two of this series against the Blue Jays he did the same thing where he put a lot of guys on base. I mean, he puts just an absurd amount of people on baseball. Five guys, gave up five hits, five and a third innings. But bottom line was, Tyler McGill gave you as, I don't want to say as good as McGill will give you, but for him, a top-end performance. To his credit, he battles and fights his way out of jams. You know, first inning of this game, he puts the first two guys on base, and you're facing Vladimir Guerrero, Brandon Belt, Matt Chapman, and he gets out of it. He got Whit Merrifield to line out. Bottom, uh, top of the second inning, he walks the first two guys. He walks the seven hitter. He walks the eight hitter, gets a strikeout, a caught stealing, a strikeout. Puts a guy on base in the third, fights through it. Puts a guy on base in the fourth, fights through it. Puts a guy on base in the fifth, gets a Vladimir Guerrero double play. The issue was the sixth, and he was so close to getting out of it. Problem was, Buck said, enough. You've thrown a million pitches. You've thrown 103 pitches. I'm taking you out. He gives up a leadoff double. He issues a walk. So you got first and second, nobody out, nursing a one nothing lead. He gets a fly on Merrifield, and then Buck says, I'm going to go to Brooks Rally, which I didn't think was a bad move, by the way. Despite the fact that McGill had not given up a run yet, he had put 10 guys on base. 10 guys on base, and at that point, he's retired. He's gotten 16 outs. 
If you frame it that way, you realize how bad it is. He got 16 outs and he put 10 guys on base. And a few of those outs were double plays and caught stealings, which I don't want to say is lucky because he still got the outs, but, you know, sort of fortunate. One of them was his own pickoff. So I give credit to him. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So he goes to Rayleigh with two on and one out. Rayleigh gets Varsho out. And here's the issue. All right, We may have a debate here because you may defend him. I know you're a big Lindor guy. I'm not anti-Lindor or pro-Lindor. I call it like it is. The Alejandro Kirk round ball to shortstop. Tough play. He's got to make that play. That's a play Lindor has got to make. And if he makes that play, the inning is over. It's one nothing Mets, bottom of the sixth inning. Can they get the last nine outs and win the game one nothing? I don't know. It's a different game. It's different than what it turned into. Buck may manage the game slightly differently. But I thought that was the kind of play that, not saying it's an error, because it wasn't, but if you're an elite-level shortstop, you eat it up, you throw Kirk out. Instead, he knocks the ball down. It gets too far away from him. And Brandon Belt's able to round third and score. And all of a sudden, there's a tie game. Do you agree that that's a play Lindor's got to make? You're going to fight me on that. No, I'm, I'm not going to fight you. But what I, what I will say is this: is his offense, we could say, has been putrid all season long. His defense has been basically flawless. Basically, that was one of the biggest plays that he should have made that he didn't make. But those have been so few and far between. I can't kill him for that. I can't be like, oh my god, you're such a terrible defender. But you're right; he should have made that play. The problem is there's no margin for error. The Met offense, and really any team, when your offense goes as cold as this, there's no margin for error. A small mistake can be the difference. I mean, giving up one run to the Toronto Blue Jays should not be your death knell. That should not be the thing that really hoses you. But unfortunately, it is because the Mets were unable to score any runs. And think about the one run they scored on Saturday. We were all annoyed when we saw the lineup. We saw that Alvarez was out of it. Nito was starting. We saw that Vogelback was back at DH. And Daniel Vogelback was the one guy who supplied a run. He rips that RBI double in the second inning. He scores Marte from first base. That was how the Mets had the one nothing lead. And then in the sixth, he came up with two on and two out. And off the bat, I thought he was coming through again. He ripped the line drive. Unfortunately, it was right at George Springer. Here's the truth. Here's the dead honest truth as much as people don't want to hear it. And you just got to call like it is. That's why you can't have these, I don't like this guy, I love this guy, because then you don't call it like it is. I've been pissed at Vogelback because he hasn't hit. It's just what it is. But on Saturday, he was their only hope for offense. (laughs) That's just the reality. He drove in the only run, and when he came up with two on and two out in the sixth inning, he ripped the ball that felt unlucky right at George Springer. So I didn't want him in the lineup either. I'm not going to lie to you, but to Daniel Vogelback's credit, He came through. But then after that, the offense did nothing. They did nothing. So when that run scores on the play Lindor doesn't make, the rest of this game feels 
as if it's a death march because if you can't score a run and they couldn't and they had some opportunities, then how the hell are you going to win the game? You're going to wait till there's a runner on second, the 10th inning, and hope you scratch out a run? It was it was very frustrating to watch. The eighth inning, too, because in the eighth inning, Pete Alonzo gets a break because Matt Chapman, who's so good defensively, makes a rare miscue, and then Alonzo steals second. And you got Beatty and you got Marte with a runner on second, less than two outs in the eighth inning, a base hit away from taking the lead. And Brett Beatty has looked awful the last few games, which is why when he wasn't in the lineup Sunday against Kikuchi, it's tough to scream and yell. Beatty hasn't hit. And he came up in a big spot in that eighth inning against Nate Pearson, and he struck out. And Starling Marte struck out. And then you have the Met bullpen in this game against Toronto. So let's go through what Buck does. Buck goes to Adovino against the top of the order in the seventh inning. I applaud it. I got no issue with it. He's going to one of his best relievers against their better hitters. He pitches a one, two, three inning, which included the pitch clock controversies. There was a pitch clock violation strikeout of Bo Bichette. And then with the count three and one on Vlad Guerrero Jr., the clock hit zero. Adovino throws a pitch. It isn't called. And Guerrero grounds out. And the Blue Jays are pissed. And I think that's what led to John Schneider eventually getting ejected a few innings later. He was arguing balls and strikes, but I think it goes back to the inconsistencies of the pitch clock. So Adovino pitches a great seventh. He gives up a leadoff double to belt in the eighth. Gets a ground out, but he advances and then gets another huge ground out. Credit to Lindor. Makes the play, makes the throw home to get the lead runner, Kevin Biggio. And it looks like they got a chance to get through the eighth. And that's when Buck went to Robertson with a runner on first and two outs and Var show up. Again, like it's a by the book fine move. Robertson's tougher on lefties. We know about Adovino's issues with lefties. There's a runner on first, there's one out. Uh, there's a runner on, I'm sorry, there's a runner on first two outs because he just got the second out. And Robertson, I thought was going to get through it. He gives a two base hit to Varsho. But then to his credit, strikes out Alejandro Kirk. He gets through it. Throws a bunch of pitches, but gets through it. Now we go to the ninth inning. He gives up the one out single to Springer, gives up the stolen base, and he strikes out Bo Bichette. Look, here's the reality of this next spot. I think if you've listened to any talk radio on our radio station in the last 24 hours, if you've read any newspaper, if you've been on Twitter, this is one of those first guesses that everyone knows it's obvious and it's bad. So I don't know how much time we should spend screaming about it because it was such a stupid move. It was such an obvious move that I'm not splitting any atoms here. With a runner on second and two outs in a tie game in the ninth inning, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the plate. And by the way, the guy on deck is not your normal cleanup hitter, Brandon Belt. It's actually Kevin Biggio, who's hitting 175, and you got no one else on the bench that scares you. This is as no-brainer or an intentional walk as one can have. It's a bad move. And we know what happens. Robertson gets ahead of him. Guerrero rips an RBI double. It's the difference in this game. We all know it's stupid. I don't think anybody listening right now is going to debate this. So let's get to what Buck said, because I was really curious to hear what was he thinking? Like, we all know it's bad. Like, why would you face Vlad when you can face Biggio? Why? With the base open. Why? 
Like, what, what's the thing? Even Robertson, he's better against lefties than even righties, right? Don't, doesn't he have the reverse split? So, like, I just couldn't wait to eventually hear what Buck had to say. And Buck, essentially, if you get past the rigmarole of, well, I trust Robbie. No, I trust David. It's not about trusting David. It's about putting him in the best situation to succeed. His answer was the 10th inning. His answer was, well, it puts us in a better spot in the 10th inning. If we get Vlad out, now Biggio's leading off the inning as opposed to Matt Chapman. I'm sorry. You cannot manage for the 10th inning. Not with one of the best hitters in the sport at the plate. So I was all ears to hear the reason. The reason was way too cute. You can, first of all, what does that say about your offense? You have no confidence that you can win the game in the ninth inning? Now you're already conceding out. We're getting to the 10th inning. You can't think that way. You got to get to the 10th inning. You can't let a guy, I don't care what kind of slump Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in, because that base hit gets him out of the slump, as we saw on Sunday when he hit a home run. That was an inexcusable, boneheaded move by Buck Showalter, and nobody can defend it. That's an, that's one of those moves where we're not having a debate about it. It's undefendable. And the only thing that annoyed me more than the decision and the hit was his reason. Well, puts us in a better spot in the 10th inning. The 10th, with thinking about the 10th inning in the ninth inning of a tie game with a guy who could have won the MVP two years ago at the plate. I mean, that's like saying, like, you know, it'll really set us up nicely, too, when we get to the 12th and 13th as well. Like, I mean, why do you care about that? What I've known in baseball is when you have a chance – to win the game, you go out there and win the game. You can't think about the, I got to set myself up some later because that's when you're going to get bit in the ass. They did. Loser mentality too, because you also have to say, hey, let me just get this out. And I believe we could scratch out a run and win the baseball game. And obviously the ninth inning rolls around. They do nothing against Eric Swanson. They did get a base hit by Mark Canna with one out. Alvarez Got the count to three and one, roll envisioning. Maybe he has another magic moment. He ends up flying out. And then Brandon Nimmo, who I know he had two hits in this game, but he put together one of the meekest at-bats when he struck out on three pitches. And the Mets lost this game to the Toronto Blue Jays and really starts to, to make you worried after losing on Friday. Now you back it up with losing on Saturday. Uh, honestly, just brutal. I mean, just a freaking brutal loss. <laughs> And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit because I saw some of the emails I'm going to read. But I was watching the last few innings of this game at the Westchester County Center in preparation for a WWE house show. So this was a weird viewing experience, which I'll get to in a little bit. 